Well, welcome those of you, if it's your first time here, we're pumped you're joining us right now. Welcome to those of you watching online. Welcome to those of you at our Hope City locations. We're pumped that you're joining us right now as well. So many cool things happened this weekend that a lot of us got to watch, right? We got to watch tech pull out a victory, right, in overtime. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Friday night, Josh Young, former Texas Tech baseball player, hit a home run in his first major league at bat. And if you were watching that or watched the clip, you saw me and my family um, there at that game. No, we did not make it to the Parker McCollum concert. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Josh is like a family friend of my family. A lot of you know that. Um, he was a student of ours back in our Raider Church days, and, and uh, he got very close with our family. And so we've joked at times he's like a fourth child for us. And so I've paid for like 20 or 30 of his meals. But this weekend, for the very first time on that new contract, he paid for one of my meals, all right? He's got, he's got a little bit more money, so he paid for, for my family to, to eat this weekend. The, the roles kind of reversed there. So, so excited to be there with his family. And uh, he, he invited us to come and, and got us like family tickets to sit with his family. And so we got to be with his family when he hit that home run. It was absolutely incredible. Incredible things that a lot of us got to see uh, this past weekend. But I, but I saw something this weekend that was like, much better than any of those things. Like all of those things combined don't even hold a candle to something else I got to see this weekend. Yesterday, Pastor Fred, uh, who leads our Hope City campuses, these are our, our, our jail churches that meet inside of the Lubbock County Detention Center and across the street at the CRTC. Yesterday, we launched a third location of Hope City and Fred sent me this picture of these men in the jail in Brownfield watching the beginning to our Luke series. They're beginning to go through the gospel of Luke uh, verse by verse. And so they started that yesterday and he sent that to me and I was like, after everything I've seen this whole weekend, this is by far the best, right? Those other things, I hope you agree with me. Yeah, those other things don't hold a candle to this. None of those things combined even come close to this. We now have probably nearly 300 men and women joining us almost every week for our messages and worship and Bible studies that Pastor Fred uh, leads all of that out in our Hope City locations. And so, man, when I saw that, I was just so thrilled, moved to, to tears, I'm sure you can imagine. And um, that was the best thing I saw all weekend. And I'm, I'm glad you agree. Well, one quick announcement before we dive in today's message. This Wednesday, 6 o'clock, I think the video said 6.30, it's actually 6 p.m. Uh, we're inviting you to be here this Wednesday for our United Quarterly Prayer and Worship Gathering. Everything in our church kind of shuts down. Youth doesn't meet that week. Um, and we're inviting you, if you're a member of our church, volunteer, you're in groups, this is your home. Be here this Wednesday, six o'clock. We're gonna have dinner out front together. We're gonna have a service together. We're gonna talk about our vision and direction for the, the next couple of years. And so we're inviting you to be here six o'clock this Wednesday night. Well, we're in the middle of a four-part series called The Vow. This series is based on a similar series that Pastor Craig Rochelle from Life Church did many years ago. And his series and this series is also based on a book from Jimmy Evans called Marriage on the Rock. So a lot of the content comes from there. So if you're like, which I've gotten a lot of messages and emails, hey, uh, where can we get more information? What's that book that you mentioned? It's Marriage on the Rock by Jimmy Evans. That influenced uh, Craig Groeschel in his series, and both of those things and the content from both of those sources have influenced this series for 
Sure, we're in part three of a four-part message series. My goal, my prayer in this series is that God would help those of you who are not married, but maybe one day you'd like to be, that God would do a work in your heart and give you the tools that you need to be prepared to have a marriage that honors God, that's a blessing to you and will be a blessing to your future spouse one day. And if you're married, our, our, our prayer is, our hope is that God's word is going to strengthen you, change you, empower you, encourage you, and give you the hope and the tools that you need to have a marriage that honors God and that is a blessing to you and to your spouse and to the generations that are going to follow after you. Here, here's just what we believe. We believe God wants something better for your marriage. And we believe God has something better than this culture and this world is preaching to us about marriage. God just has something better for you than maybe you've seen, than maybe you, you've had modeled in your own life. God has something better. And we always find that in God's word. We find God's best and God's ways in his word. Jesus was asked one time a question about marriage. And Jesus, you're going to see today, says, haven't you read the scripture? Haven't you read the scripture? You want to know about marriage? Read the scriptures. The Bible says it's that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness in God's word. And so surely that includes marriage as well. So we're going to turn to God's word. We've been turning to God's word to learn God's best for marriage. Let, let me see a show of hands if you married someone who was or is the opposite of you. Let me see a show of hands. Opposite of you. Okay, a lot of us, more than half of us married someone that was the opposite of of us. They, they say when you're dating, opposites attract, right? Opposites attract. Well, when you get married, opposites tend to attack. They, they, attract, they, they attract in the beginning, and then they uh, attack when you get married. Like the very things you were attracted to, you begin to attack when you get married. No elbows, no hands, and because of last week, no clearing your throats, okay? That's the rule. No... <clears throat> you know, and pointing like that or, you know, doing any of that, you know, any, none of that. Okay. That's the rules for today. When you're dating opposites attract, when you get married, opposites tend to attack. Maybe the girl you dated when you were dating, right? She was laid back and easygoing and you were attracted to that, but now you're married and you attack. She's a lazy bum, right? And she won't get off the couch. Okay. Uh, you're, you're dating this guy and he's organized and he's driven and you're attracted to that. What do you do? You get married and you attack. He's a clean freak. He's a control freak, right? Attract and then attack. That was kind of me and it still is. Uh, right? I, I, I'm organized. I'm, I like clean cleanliness, you know. Uh, some would say I'm a clean freak. Some would say I'm a control freak, right? I'm really driven. And listen, when we got married, Darby just wasn't, okay? She wasn't a lot of those things. And so God has used uh, both of us in this partnership to grow us, to strengthen us, to sanctify us, to, so that we might flourish into something new and better and different as a result of this partnership. Satan wants to use our differences to divide us. God wants to use our differences in a partnership to strengthen us, to grow us, to sanctify us, so that we might flourish because of each other's differences. Today, we're talking about the vow of 
partnership. Here's where we've been over the past couple of weeks. Number one, the first vow was this in week one. I promise that God will be my first priority. Here's where if you're taking notes, you fill in the blank. You can open up our app, the City Church Lubbock, and click message notes. And all of our notes, they're there today. You can fill in the blank. It's a great way to take notes. If you don't have our app, you can download it in your app store. It's called the City Church Lubbock. It's a great way to stay engaged in our time. All the points, all the verses are gonna be there. Vow number one, week one, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. And listen, we said this last week, but you gotta catch this first. These messages have built on each other. So if you weren't, haven't been here, go back and watch week one, go back and watch week two on our podcast or on our app. But we said, my, I promise the vow of priority, God will be my first priority. And you've gotta catch this, right? You've got to understand this, that, that if you're not following Jesus, that, that, that Jesus is going to be the one that's going to enable you to be a, a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly mom, a godly dad. So if you're not following Jesus, you've got to get this first, that, that the vow of priority, that God is going to be my first. I'm going to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that's growing each and every day so that I might be empowered to be the godly husband and godly wife that God's calling me to be because you cannot do it without him. You just, you can't. And so everything that we're talking about, like in week two and, and today and all the one, two, threes and all the practical stuff, like, like it will be a law unto itself that you cannot perform, that you cannot keep up with. And it will be, uh, it, it will be like a, a law that, that brings death because you, you won't be able to live up to it. And that will bring shame. And so that's because that's what the law does. And so we, we, we give our lives to Jesus. We follow Jesus. We pursue Jesus. He's changing us. He's transforming us more into the image of Christ and empowering us to live these things out. So we got to get this right. God's going to be my first priority and my spouse is going to be my second. We said this, everyone's looking for the one. And we said our hope, our prayers, if you're, if you're single in this series, you know, you're not looking for the, the one anymore because the one is Jesus. You're looking for your two. Your spouse is gonna be your second priority. And if you are married, you're, you're not trying to change your one. You're not criticizing your one. No, you're trying to become the one that you're looking for. Week two, here was the vow of pursuit. We said this, I promise to always pursue my two. And so last week we talked about that. Here's week three. Here's what we're talking about today. Number three, the vow of partnership. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. Our marriage, this partnership, is going to be about we and not me. So if we're going to talk about the vow of partnership, number one, here's what we got to talk about. Here's what we got to discuss. The nature of this partnership. You've got to understand the nature of partnership in the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so watch this, watch what God does. God says, I'm gonna make a helper, and come back to this, I'm gonna make a helper who is just right for him. I want you to stop there. If you got a Bible, circle that just right, underline it, whatever. I'm gonna make a helper, and this helper, whoever God's going to make in fashion, because the man's alone, the animals haven't been enough, right? You can't have a relationship with an animal, uh, not at least in the way you can with a person. And so everything's good in God's created order, but man's alone and God says, that's not good. So I'm gonna bring a helper. And God says, this helper is going to be just right for him, just right for the man. So whatever God is about to do, you gotta understand this, you gotta catch this. Whatever God is about to do, whoever God is about to bring to Adam is going to be in God's eyes, just right 
for him. You follow me? Like whatever God's about to do is God's good design and best for Adam and best we're going to see for the marriage relationship. God says, I'm making a helper. I'm going to make a partner for Adam and whatever this partner is and whoever this part will be just right. This will be God's way and God's plan for Adam and for the marriage relationship. So verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, I love that. At last, right? He's been in the garden, he's been by himself, he's got all these animals, but then he sees this woman and he looks her up and down and she's not wearing anything. He's not wearing anything. And he says, at last, like, all right, you know? At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She's like me. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. So let's go back to this helper that's suitable for Adam. This word helper does not imply status. Like when you look in the original Hebrew language, there is no status attached to this. So so the helper that's going to come is not going to be a person of lower value or worth or of increased value or worth because there's no status attached to this. In other words, this helper that's going to come is going to be a a helper to Adam and Adam's going to be a helper to her. That, that, That side by side, there's going to be this team that's formed and they're going to be there for each each other and they're going to help one another. So, so both in a sense are, are helpers to each other. So if we could make up a word, now I know if you're a teacher, then you're like, please don't make up a word. All right, I'm gonna make up a word, okay? If we can make up a word to like describe this relationship and really the, the depth of what's happening here, like in the original Hebrew language, here, here's the word that we would make up. It would be counterpartnerment. Counterpartnerment. That's the word that we, if we can make up a word to like try to, in English, to try to explain the depths of what's happening here in this just right helper that, that God has brought to Adam, it would be counterpartnerment. A counterpart, a partner, and a compliment. A counterpart, a partner, and a compliment. In other words, a counterpart, she's, she's like me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my, she, she's like me, she's, she's human. So she's like me, but at the same time, she, she's a partner. So she's like me and beside me. She's like me, she's a counterpart, she's, she's beside me, she's a partner. But then third, she's also a compliment. She's not like me in, in all the best ways possible, right? Adam looks at her, like looking her up and down like, at last, right? Someone who's like me, but but man, she's not like me, and that rocks, right? So she's like me, she's beside me, but she's not like me all at the same time. A counterpartner, a counterpart, a partner, a, a compliment. She, she's taken from his side. It's rib, but more literally, the scripture's saying that, this, that, that God takes a part of Adam's side and creates another side, if you will, like a teammate, someone to be 
beside him, not, not from his foot, someone for him to walk on and trample over and dominate, not, not from his head, like, like someone to dominate and control him. No, God takes from his side to make a partner, to make a teammate, someone to be beside him. And then all at the same time, this, this relationship is not characterized by independence. And then it's not characterized by dependence. It's an interdependence. Because she's like me and beside me, but then in other ways, she's not like me. And so it's not independence, it's not dependence, it's an interdependence. In other words, we need each other. She is my helper and I am hers. We need each other. I, I need Darby. She is my best friend and there is no question that she has made me more kind, loving, fun. <laughs> uh, she has made me a stronger person, a more compassionate person. That, that's just not in my family history. And so in my relationship with Darby, she, she has she has formed that she, God has used her to, to sanctify me and to grow me and to strengthen me in those ways. And Darby, I know at least needs me to kill spiders and uh, fix the internet. That's a big one in our house. Like she always needs me to fix the internet and then for sure play with her hair. She wants me to play with her hair um, because it puts her to sleep. So I know she needs me for those things. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse seven. In the same way, you husbands, watch what he says, must give honor to your wives. Honor her, celebrate her. She's like you, beside you, and not like you. And so in all of those ways, we're gonna honor our wives. Peter says, treat your wives with understanding. In other words, not harshly, but with patience and compassion and kindness. That, that you're gonna treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, Peter says. He's talking about physically. And so a man will be tempted, and we'll talk more about this here in a second, to dominate someone who's typically, usually, physically weaker than they are. And so Peter says, she may be, she's different than you, but, that, but you're not going to trample on her. You're not going to dominate. You're not going to be harsh with her. No, you're going to treat her with compassion and kindness and understanding. She may be weaker than you, but she is, watch what Peter says, your equal partner. She's your teammate. Side by side, like you, beside you, and not like you at all. This She's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should. Watch this, men, better pay attention. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Men, look at me. There is almost nowhere in scripture besides here that says your prayers will be hindered if you don't treat your wife with honor, compassion, kindness, mercy, grace. It's almost as if God is saying, like, men, pay attention, because this is huge. Like, if you don't treat your wife with kindness and compassion and grace, like, then God is going to remove his hand of blessing off of your life. This is like a roadblock spiritually for you. 
Now, we're not talking about relationship because, because nothing changes your relationship with God. Like you're a child of God, you're a son of God. But, but we, we do see God removing his hand of blessing like off the nation of Israel. We see in Revelation, even in New Covenant, even in the New Testament, we see in Revelation God saying to, to the different churches, like, hey, I see this about you, I approve of this, I don't like this. If you keep doing this, I'm going to remove your lampstand. That's his hand of blessing and providence and protection, men. If you treat your wife harshly, if you seek to dominate them and rule them, God is saying, I will take my hand of blessing off of you, which is a hand of protection and providence and blessing. And so if things aren't going well in your life or in your family or in your finances or at work, you might just look and see, how am I treating my wife? Because God says, listen, if you're treating your wife harshly, then your prayers are going to be, there's a spiritual roadblock there. And you need to repent of your sin. You need to apologize to your wife. Peter says we're to give honor to our wives because, because she's like me. She's our equal partner. She's beside me. But then she's not like me because there's a, a, a physical makeup difference there that, that would allow a man who's dominated by the flesh, pride and anger to seek to control or to dominate a physically weaker partner. And God says that is not okay. It is not okay with him and your prayers will be hindered. Like me, give honor beside me, my equal partner, but not like me. And so we're going to honor and celebrate those differences. Our, our culture wants to remove the differences between the genders. And God says, no, you're going to celebrate. You're going to honor the differences between you. And those differences between you are going to be what I'm going to use to grow you and strengthen you and sanctify you and to see you flourish, especially in a marriage relationship. So the vow of partnership says this, it's about we, it's not about me. We always need we, because we're a team. Like me, beside me, but not like me. Secondly, if we're going to talk about partnership, we've got to talk about the depth of this partnership, the depth of this partnership. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says this, this explains, we've got Adam and Eve coming together, Two are becoming one. And so it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. They're joined together. They were two, they're becoming one to his wife. And the two are united into one. We talked about that last week. We talked about what the, the Hebrew word for united means last week. We don't have time to go into all of that again. But what we said was, this was a miracle that God does as two people covenant together and they covenant with God to become one. They're no longer two, but one. Now here's what's amazing is that in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus quotes from Genesis 2. Like a lot of people will say, well, Jesus didn't have a lot to say about gender and marriage and, and how, how that looks. And he never, he never really defines that wrong. He absolutely does. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus quotes Genesis chapter two, he's asked a question about marriage and here's what he says, haven't you read the scriptures? So, so here's what Jesus says, he's about to quote from Genesis two, Here, here's what Jesus is saying, that, that Genesis is God's word, it's scripture. 
uh, uh, the law is God's word. The Old Testament is God's word. So, so Jesus being God, and he proved that by rising from the grave, said that what was written in Genesis, what was written in the law, what was written in the, the Old Testament is God's word. So, so Jesus says, you wanna know about marriage, just go to God's word. What does God's word say? That's God's design and best for marriage. So he's asked a question about marriage and Jesus quotes the scripture. Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, this is Genesis two, God made them male and female. So we have a question about gender. Jesus talks about it, he answers it. Jesus answers the question. God made them in his perfect great plan and design and his sovereignty, God determines gender, both male and female. Verse five, then Jesus goes on to say, quotes again from Genesis two, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And then he says this, so since they're no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so if you're married, it wasn't just you two deciding to get married. No, when you got married, you made a covenant with God and God says, Jesus says, God joined you together. There was a supernatural thing that happened in that moment where God joined you together. But, but let's just stop for a second and understand and realize that while our culture would like us to believe that Jesus does, never says anything about gender and marriage, that that is dead wrong. Jesus absolutely addresses gender and marriage here in Matthew chapter 19 and says, God's design for marriage, remember that helper that's just right for him? That design, Jesus says, that is a good design. Jesus is God in the flesh, the scripture says. And so Jesus says, that is God's good design and plan. A man leaves his father and mother, he's united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. So here's what Jesus affirms in Matthew chapter 19. Marriage is one man, one woman for one lifetime. It is crystal clear. Jesus absolutely affirms the Genesis 2 design that marriage is between one man, one woman, and one lifetime. And listen, I could care less what the culture says, what the majority says, what social media says, what Hollywood's, I could care less because I've got what Jesus says. Jesus rose from the dead. He proved that he's God. He's God in the flesh. And so I'm going with God, right? I'm going with what God says. I'm not going with what you say. I'm not going with what the culture says. I'm not going with the popular opinion, right? I, I don't, those things don't matter to me. I'm going with what Jesus is. I always believe what Jesus believes. Because to disagree with Jesus would be to disagree with God. And I'm not so arrogant as to stand over the word of God and to stand over Jesus and say, you're wrong. Because Jesus is God. And so I submit myself under his word and under the lordship of Jesus and say, Jesus, whatever you believe, I believe. Because you're God and I'm not. So I always believe what Jesus believes. But here's what we got to understand about what Jesus is saying here in verse six. They're no longer two, but one. So let no one split apart what God has joined together. Here's what we got to understand about the depth of this partnership. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. A, a contract says, if you do your part, I'll do my part. Like it's conditional. My, my 
going all in, my going into this contract and my performing the contract right has everything to do with your response and how you perform. So, so there's a 50-50 kind of nature there. Like you do your part, I'll do my parts. And however, to whatever degree you do your part, I'll do my part. That, that's a contract. That's not a covenant. A contract's conditional. A covenant is unconditional. A covenant says I'm all in regardless of your performance. I'm all in regardless of your performance. Why is that? Because the scripture makes it clear that marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of God's unconditional love and grace and mercy towards you in that while you were a sinner, a rebel, an enemy of God, Romans 5, 8 says that God loved you so much in spite of your sin, in spite of your performance, he sent his son to die on that cross to pay your fine for sin so that you could be forgiven and made right with God and go to heaven when you die. That's unconditional grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. It wasn't conditioned upon your performance. That's why we say all the time here, you will never do better and try harder your way into the kingdom of God because that's not how it works. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. That The gospel is an unconditional covenant. And the Bible says marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's an unconditional covenant. In fact, the Hebrew word translated as covenant means a cutting. It means a cutting. It means a binding agreement or literally it's a blood covenant, a cutting, a blood covenant. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, Whenever a covenant was created, there would be a shedding of blood. There would be an animal that was sacrificed. In the new covenant, Jesus, the Lamb of God, sheds his blood on that cross in our place for our sins so that we're no longer under the old covenant. Now we're under a new covenant and marriage is a picture of the new covenant. And so watch this. In the Old Testament, when a bride and groom would get married, a man and a wife would, would come together to be united as one. They would stand before a priest of God. And the priest would take a knife and cut it into the hand of the groom and then cut the hand of the bride. They would hold hands, mingling their blood together, and then the priest would take a rope and tie their hands together in this marriage ceremony because the, the life of, an, uh, of the animal, or, the, or the, the scripture says the life is in the blood. They would literally make a blood covenant symbolizing that two are becoming one. This covenant is unconditional, which means it's not based on performance of the other person. You're all in regardless. It's unconditional. Now, I know in saying this, there's, there's two different groups of people in this room that, that maybe you, you might begin to squirm a little bit. This might make you a little uncomfortable a little bit. That two, two groups. So, so let me just talk to these two groups here for a second. First of all, there are some of you that are doing married things, if you will, without being married. Like you're sleeping together, you're having sex, you're living together. And what typically happens in that kind of relationship is 
you're, you're, you're sleeping together, you're having sex, you're, you're living together, whatever, and, and something goes wrong, you stop feeling it, maybe you fall out of love because that's what, hap- what tends to happen in, in relationships, you stop feeling it, and then what do you do? You kind of pick up, you move on, you, you move out, and you move on, and then for some of us, like we, we start doing that all over again. We're, we're sleeping with someone, we're having sex, we're, we're living together, whatever, and then that doesn't work, and we pick up and, and, and we move on. And here's what you're doing, you're practicing divorce. You're just practicing divorce. It's why so many people, when they do actually get married, they live together, they sleep together, they're having sex, they have kids, right? And then they stop feeling it. They're not happy anymore. What do they do? Well, they revert back to what they've been practicing and they get divorced. This is not God's way. It's not God's plan for you. It's not his best for you. One reason that marriage became legal in the Jewish faith community was to protect women and children for this very reason. Because people would live together, they would sleep together, they have, sex, they have kids. They're not covenanted together in this faith community. And so to protect women and children, they made it a legal binding thing where there was recourse if something happened. It was to protect women and children. You see, this this covenant is God's best for your life. I mean, think about it. We know from the scripture, sex outside of marriage is wrong. But then at some point in a couple's relationship, all of a sudden to God, it's no longer wrong. It's good, holy, and righteous and a blessing to that marriage relationship. What, What changed? What happened there? Well, at some point in time, You entered into a covenant with each other and with God, and all of a sudden, that sexual relationship is no longer sinful. It's good, holy, and right, and pleasing to each other and to God. And so at some point in time, there was a change that happened when it went from unholy to holy. That that, that point in time is when you made that covenant together and before God, and to protect women and children, it began to happen in public like baptism, in front of your faith community. And there began to be legal recourse that would happen when that relationship was no longer viable and there was divorce in order to protect women and children. We also see as the marriage relationship is supposed to be a picture of the gospel, Christ and his church, that when you give your life to Jesus, there's a moment in time where you, you were not believing by faith in the cross of Christ to save you from your sin. And then you, you do, you believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus from the grave and, and you give your life to Jesus, Lord of your life. And the Bible says you're born again and you receive the Holy Spirit of God. That, that happens in a moment. You don't do better and try harder your way into the kingdom. No, you're born again in a moment. And The scripture makes it clear. Well, the the marriage relationship is just a picture of the gospel. So at some point in time in your relationship, you go from being not married and not covenanted together to married and covenanted together and with God. There's there's a moment in time where where that changes. And so for the Christian, there should be a publicly recognized beginning to the union, to your family and friends and specifically to your faith family. So, so, so that's one group I want to address here for a second. The, the other group are those that have been divorced or are contemplating divorce. And, and you hear this and about this covenant relationship and it hurts and I get it. 
Probably half or more of the people in this room have been touched by divorce. My, my family has. My parents got divorced when I was a junior in high school. It was awful. It was terrible. And so I am super sensitive, especially just because of my story, especially to a wife, to a woman, to a single mother who has been broken and hurt by divorce. Because that's my story. And I saw my mom suffer greatly and our family suffer greatly because of it. And so I'm super sensitive and merciful and compassionate towards people who have been divorced or who are contemplating divorce because I've been there myself. And so what we, what we say around here is that what we're talking about in the marriage relationship and this covenant, it, it's, it's the ideal. Like, like what we're talking about is the ideal. Design, this design is the ideal, but we live in the real. We live in the real. And so we acknowledge what we call the three A's for a biblical grounds for divorce. The three A's. Adultery, your spouse has sex with someone outside of the marriage relationship. Adultery, uh, secondly, abandonment. Your spouse leaves you, you didn't want a divorce, but they, they, they leave you. And then third, abuse. And so I, I just want to say to you, like if you're in an abusive relationship, specifically I'm talking about like physical abuse, you need to run. Separate, divorce, whatever, but call the cops and run. If you're being abused, you need to call the cops. That person needs to be in jail. And if you're in any one of these situations, one of the three A's, uh, even if you're not and you're contemplating divorce, we, we want to talk with you. Uh, we want to get you plugged in with, with professional Christian counseling. And, and we, we help a lot of people with that, even financially. And so if that's you, uh, get with one of our pastors, go on our app, go to the help tab. There's a, there's a link to all of our professional Christian counselors that we recommend. So, but it, so if, if that's you, I just want to, I just want to say to you, like, this is the design. The design is ideal. We've got to preach the ideal but we understand we live in the real. And so there's grace, there's mercy, there's compassion for the real. Because so many of us live in the fallout of the real. So the depth of this partnership, this, this covenant says this, I'm, I'm committed to we, not to me. I'm committed to we, not to me. And then third, Finally, when we talk about partnership, we've got to talk about the roles of this partnership, the roles of this partnership. Now, we already said at the outset, like, like man and woman, husband and wife, they're equal in value and worth. They're a team. They're, they're beside each other. They're, they're, they're partners here. But because our God is a God of order, we get some practicalities. We, we get some like tangible nuggets like that, that we can hold on to and we can know like, hey, this is what I'm pursuing. This is God's best for me as a husband and God's best for me as a, as a wife. So first of all, let's talk to the husbands. Here's what the scripture says to you husbands. It says this, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives. And, and so what does that mean? How, how do you love your wife? Well, Paul answers that just as Christ loved the church and he gave his life up for her. You know, there's so much said about uh, 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 the, the, the husband's role in the relationship and the leadership there and all that. Listen, all that means is you are the chief servant, just like Jesus was. 
Jesus gave up his life for the church. And husbands, that's how you are called to love your wives. Give up your life. Sacrifice your preferences, your thoughts, your desire, your, your dreams, your, your, your goals. You're sacrificing all of that. Your own comfort, your, your selfishness, all of that. You're laying down. You're the chief servant. You're the lead servant. You go first. And you lay your life down for your wife. But here's the problem. In Genesis chapter three, when we see the fall of man, the curse as a result of sin, God says this to and about men that, that we will gravitate towards either being passive or aggressive in a marriage relationship. Passive or aggressive. What we see in Adam's first sin, passivity. Eve takes the apple, she's taken by, she hands it to Adam and he just goes right along with it. He doesn't stand up, he doesn't say anything, he just goes right along with whatever she's saying. So there's passivity there. So Adam's first sin is passivity, like, like he's punting the spiritual leadership, the tone, the attitude, the direction of his family to his wife. And so that's you guys, that's what some of us are tempted to do is to be passive and just to punt the leadership and direction and spiritual tone of our families to our wives. And then others of us are aggressive. And we see ourselves as a boss, as a dictator, as authoritarian. And so we seek to dominate and control our families with abuse and harsh words. See, here are some of the ways that men can be harsh. We can be controlling, demanding, not involving our spouse. Any good leader knows they need a partner knows they need a team so that they can make the best decisions. Maybe you make more withdrawals than deposits into the relationship. Maybe you're intimidating physically or verbally by name calling, barking, raising your voice. Some will publicly humiliate their spouse, their wife by complimenting other women. Maybe you are slow to confess your own sin. You're harsh about their mistakes, but expect mercy and grace for yours. Maybe you're too commanding, like you're the boss in a workplace, and you might say, well, I'd never, I'd never hire her. Bro, she didn't work for you. She's not your employee. That's, that's not the kind of relationship this is. Some of the ways men can be passive, we can be not engaged relationally, like, like talking with our wives, we don't go home after work. Maybe when we do go home, we check out and just try to watch TV or watch a game. We don't show up for our wife. We don't show up for our kids. Maybe you're not being the spiritual leader. And that's proven by the fact that maybe some of you don't want to be here right now and you're bored to tears, or maybe you're just angry with me right now. It just proves that you're not engaged spiritually. And it's a way you're punting the spiritual tone and direction of your family to your wife, and God is not okay with that. So we can tend to be either passive or aggressive. But guys, here's what you gotta understand. Before she's your wife, she is his daughter. She is God's daughter. And her following you assumes a generous, safe, life-giving environment. We, we've said this all throughout this series, men. Your family is a garden and your wife and your kids, your family are a garden and you are the gardener. And so the, the state of your family 
is something you are accountable for. As, as the gardener, you are responsible to make sure everyone in your family is flourishing. And if they're not flir- if your wife is not flourishing, if your kids are not flourishing, God is looking at you, men, to be the chief gardener, to be the lead servant, and to make sure everyone in your family is flourishing and not suffocating. Wives, here's what the scripture says to you. Ephesians 5, verse 22, it says this. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Obviously, this word submission is not very popular today. I think that's an understatement, right? It's gotten a bad rap, but obviously, just just hang with me here for just a second. Obviously, if God's word tells you something, it's for your good, it's for your best, it's for your joy, it's for your ultimate satisfaction. Because we have messed this up and gotten this wrong does not mean this isn't God's good and perfect and pleasing will and plan for your life. And so, Here's what we want. We want to just redeem this word and talk about what this actually means. I had a girl in college a long time ago come up to me and say, I I don't like this verse. I was like, I get that. She says, well, I disagree with it. I said, well, you can't go there, okay? Because it's God's word. And so we don't get to disagree with God's word. Like, you follow me? We don't stand over it. No, we submit ourselves underneath it. And we trust that just because some idiot has messed this up and abused this, that it is not ultimately God's good design. The design is ideal. The design is the ideal. And so there's something here that is ultimately God's good and best and his pleasing will that's gonna bring you joy. There's something here. We've missed it, we've abused this, but there's something here if God's telling you it's for your ultimate good and ultimate joy. So so let's talk about this here for just a second. Um, Instead of telling wives to obey as was typical in the Roman household and as Paul has already told children to obey their parents, that's not the word that Paul uses here. So it's not some authoritarian thing. Right? Paul uses the word submission, not obey, because men have this God-given spiritual leadership role in the family. At least that's the ideal. So, so this isn't an authoritarian thing. So then it's talking about this heart or this spirit, this attitude then that you have towards your husband. Here, here's what it's not saying. Okay, this is not generally true for men and women. So if you're single, this doesn't apply to your boyfriend. This is only true like in a married relationship. This is written to two married Christians. This does not happen or work outside of the home like in politics or the workplace. It does not mean that the wife is less valuable or competent or that she's inferior. It doesn't mean that a wife is not going to have her own thoughts and feelings and opinions. No, quite the opposite. Women, you should seek to influence your husband to their own good and for the good of your family and to honor the Lord. You should seek to influence. Listen, we wouldn't be here right now. This church would not be here if Darby had not influenced me by sharing her thoughts and feelings about our family and what our family didn't have and by putting like a new vision and dream in my heart to plant a church. It was not my idea. When she said, I think you should pray about planting a church, I was like, no, I don't want to. 
That was not in my heart. And then because of that first word that she spoke to me, God began to change my heart and affirm, know that what Darby was saying was God's plan and will for my life. She influenced me in a godly way for the benefit of our family and then for all of us as a church family. That was her idea. So, so, so ladies, you're going to influence your husband spiritually for the good of your family. It's not about your personality. It doesn't mean you're going to be an introvert or an extrovert. This does not mean that your husband is the mediator between you and God. No, you have your own relationship with God. This submission is never forced in the scripture. It's always voluntary. It's never into sin. It's always in the context of a loving, godly marriage. This word is more about your spirit. It's about your attitude. It's about your heart. And Jesus is always our Example that the scripture says that Jesus was in authority and under authority. He was in authority as the son of God, but as a child, follow me here, as a child of imperfect sinful parents, he was under authority. He was under the leadership of people who did not deserve to be in that position. And yet Jesus honored his parents anyways. He respected his parents Anyways, and the scripture says he honored God in this. This is talking about a heart. This is talking about a spirit towards your husband, even when it's not deserved, because your marriage is a picture of the unconditional, undeserved love of God that he had towards you. But because of the curse of sin in Genesis chapter three, God said in Genesis three that wives would seek to constantly, they would constantly be tempted to dominate and control their husbands. Just like a man will be tempted to dominate and control their wife, a, a wife will be tempted to dominate and control her husband. And this is not God's will for, for either party. And, and the scripture's funny sometimes. <laughs> in, in Proverbs, it actually talks about a woman who, who does this. It says in Proverbs 19, verse 13, a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping. In, in, in other words, it's like the, God saying, it would be better for you to be waterboarded, to live in a home with a nagging, controlling, quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21, verse 9, it's better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21, verse 19, better to live in a desert <laughs> with no water than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Or, or by the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe this could be you. Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May you always be satisfied by her breast and may you be ever intoxicated with her love. That's what I'm talking about, right? That's, that sounds wonderful. So, so you, you, you see that there's nothing here about authority or control. It's everything to do with a spirit, with an attitude, with a heart that you have towards your husband. But regardless of your role, husbands, wives, regardless of your role, the heart of your role is we before me. You're two before you. We before me, you're two before you. So here's our third vow. Let's, let's go over it again. Let's say it all together. Ready? One, two, three. I promise. Start over. Start over. One, two, 
three. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. That's the vow of partnership. And listen, the gospel calls you to partnership. Watch this. The gospel calls you to partnership and pursuit. This was last week, pursuit, the vow of pursuit. This is this week, partnership. The gospel calls us to partnership and pursuit in spite of performance. That's a covenant. In spite of performance. So men, loving your wife like Christ loved the church is an act of worship to God, first of all. It shows the gospel has taken root in your heart. It preaches the gospel to your wife and to a watching world. And, and, and women, wives, honoring, respecting your husband. That, that spirit, that attitude, that heart that we're talking about, in spite of his performance, it's an act of worship to God. It shows the gospel's taken root in your heart. It preaches the gospel to your husband and to a watching world. First Peter chapter three, Peter said this, you could win over your spouse without words. Through a gentle, loving, and kind spirit, Peter says you could win over your spouse, the hard heart in your spouse, you could win them over, Peter says, without words. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of this unconditional, sacrificial, loving kind of spirit because sacrificial love always begets sacrificial love. Service always begets service. And the great news is that someone's already made the first move. And you may be like, what? No, she hadn't. No, he hadn't. Yeah, no, no, someone's already made the first move. His name is Jesus. He made the first move towards you with sacrificial love and service through his death for you on the cross. Scripture says he humbled himself and became a servant and became obedient even to death, death on a cross. Jesus made the first move towards you. And so now it's your turn. As you look to Jesus, you make the first move. You make the next move. And you're like, what, her? Him? Yes. The answer is yes. You make the next move. You look to Jesus and you make the next move. Sacrificial love begets sacrificial love. Service begets service. It's your turn. And so, listen, there's a place for the change him, for the change her prayer. But in this series, here's what I, I, want, I want you, I want to ask you to, for, to kind of just to put that away for now. Make it your secondary. Here, here's your primary prayer. The primary prayer of a Christian is not change him, not change her. It's search me. Search me, God. Test me. See if there's any offensive way in me. And if there is, lead me in your everlasting way. I know some of you are here and you're like, Clayton, this is all cute and nice and good. And you're just naive, bro. Like you don't understand, you don't get my situation. And listen, I, I, you're right, I may not understand your situation. And, and, and you may be sitting there thinking like you and Dart, like y'all have it all together, like it's all great. No, it hasn't always been like that. We have had our fair share, fair share of issues and problems. We haven't always felt like it, but we're in a covenant. And so we, we love Jesus and we pursue each other and we're, we're partners, we're, we're on the same team because, because we've covenanted together. We haven't always 
felt like it. There's going to be times you're not going to feel like it. But listen, you cannot get away with that in any other important area of your life. What happens if you say you don't feel like it about going to work? You, you don't get to do that. You don't get to say I don't feel like it when you have a baby. You don't get to say I don't feel like it where you're in a covenant. A covenant has nothing to do with your feelings. I know some of you are here and you're like, but listen, I'm not happy. Like we fell out of love. Like I understand. I don't want to belittle that. I understand it might be horrible. I understand the person you're with might be incredibly difficult, but just because you don't feel love doesn't mean you throw in the towel. Getting divorced because you ran out of love or because you don't feel it anymore is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. No one sells a car because they ran out of gas. They put more gas in the car. And so listen, you can, you can keep making your excuses. You can keep bowing up in pride. But let me ask you, how's that worked for you? How has doing it your way worked for you? You can appreciate, honor, and submit to God's design and experience his blessing, or you can resist his design to your own detriment. But as for me and my house, we're gonna trust God. We're gonna do things his way, and I'm praying you will too. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your great design of the, the marriage relationship, this partnership. And God, I'm just praying that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would come and soften hearts. You would empower us, God, to live these things out with the Holy Spirit. God, you would heal. You would bring restoration. You would bring reconciliation. God, we realize and understand we can do none of this without you. We need you. We need our one to come and help us be the one. We need our one to come and help us be the two, become the two. We can't do any of this without you. And so Jesus, I pray that your spirit would just, just speak to, that we would hear your spirit speaking to us, not, not one, two, three, but, but follow me. And today, right now, if you hear the spirit's voice, saying, follow me, then the scriptures don't harden your heart. If you hear the spirit's voice, do not harden your heart. Say, yes, Lord, I'm following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?